Hi, and welcome to Intercom on Product, which is a new podcast series with myself, Des Trainer, co-founder of Intercom, and Paul Adams, who's our Senior Vice President of Product. Over the time we've worked together, Paul and I have had countless conversations about things like how to run a product org at scale, how to balance customer feedback on your product roadmap, how to spread a product-first mentality throughout a company, how to maintain design excellence in a fast-growing R&D team, and so much more. In this series, we're going to begin sharing some of these discussions with you on a regular basis, covering everything from industry trends, what's hot right now, all the way through to things like, how are we embracing the rise of automation? So if you're a designer, product manager, engineer, researcher, or anything in between, we think you'll find these conversations really valuable. You can subscribe to Intercom on Product on iTunes, you can stream it on Spotify, or even just grab the RSS feed in your player of choice. Thanks for listening. Welcome to Intercom on Product. This is our sixth episode, and once again, I'm joined by Mr. Paul Adams. Hey, Paul. Hey, yeah. Hi, Des. Today, we're going to talk about outcomes over outputs. The product management world has recently been torn asunder over its latest topic. And for once, it's not the brand of Post-its or Sharpies. It's not personas versus jobs to be done. It's not even things like what should be a roadmap and what shouldn't be. It's about this idea that there's a core difference between the output of a product team and the business outcome generated. Paul, you spoke about this topic recently at a conference. Could you talk to our listeners about what's going on here? What's the general narrative in the industry? And we'll take it from there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I guess before we get into the debate of which one of these things is more important, the way that I kind of describe these things is that the output, people talk about outcomes being more important than output. Uh, there's a lot of energy, like you said, in the industry. So, for example, Josh Seiden has written a great book called Outcomes Over Output. Uh, the theme of Marty Kagan's most recent version of Inspired, his kind of classic product management book, uh, which is also a great read, is Outcomes Over Output. And output, in my opinion, is shipping, shipping mm-hmm. product, shipping things out the door. And outcome is the impact of that. We can get into the specifics of like, what does impact mean? Is it a business result or whatever? That's kind of the distinction between the two. So it's like what you shipped versus what happened because of the thing you shipped. Yeah, exactly. The return you got on it. Yeah. And there's been so much energy over the years. And you can kind of blame or credit whoever you want. Lean startup, lean UX, all these movements. Move fast and break things. Yeah, ship, ship, ship. All about shipping. And, you know, startups die unless they ship. Mm -hmm. The startups that ship more often, more frequently, faster, are the ones who yeah. learn faster, yeah. they're the ones who then iterate and thrive. It's fair to say we believe all that, like as in we're riddled with those sort of messages, like shipping is a heartbeat, et cetera. Yeah. yeah, absolutely are. Like one of our three principles is ship to learn. Yeah. Another one is think big, start small. Mm-hmm. Start small being, if you start small, yeah. you'll do it sooner. Uh, so we absolutely do believe in those things, yeah. yeah. Uh, but the kind of correction or like the, the movement around trying to correct this is that there's so much emphasis on output yeah. that people have stopped thinking or thinking enough about the impact of that output. Yeah. That's the gist of it. Yeah. So if this is kind of a, almost like a pendulum swing back towards an idea of, hey, it's not about putting code live on a server so that people can execute it. It's actually about generating a business return. What the hell's wrong with that? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. That sounds perfectly correct. Uh, yeah. Well, the, the kind of, the argument that I was making or the case I was making in the talk that I gave and I only gave it a couple of days ago so this is quite recent recent right. thinking and yeah. I think all the listeners will realize that our thinking is evolving on this topic too mm-hmm. outcomes is certainly something that that we are discussing a lot internally at Intercom these days and more so than we've done in the past the case I was making in the in the talk was that it's less about outcomes over output 
And, right. you know, like you said, when I read Josh's book, I was like, mm-hmm. this all makes sense to me, yeah. you know? Yeah. Equally, like I read our principles about shipping mm-hmm. and our obsession with shipping. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Dara, who runs our engineering team, has a blog post about shipping as our heartbeat. Mm-hmm. Shipping is a company's heartbeat. And I believe all that too. And so the case I was making simply at the conference was, hey, it's not about outcomes. Yeah. It's about the system. Yeah. It's about outcomes and outputs and their yeah. relationship. But a third thing, which is inputs. Right. So so the full system that I think every single software team has, mm-hmm. no matter who you are, how you work, whether you're waterfall or agile or whatever, mm-hmm. you have inputs, yeah. i.e. what projects do you do? Or what, what Are they the inputs or like? Well, the inputs tell you what projects yeah, do, right? Yeah, so the inputs yeah. could be, you know, a vision like, yeah. or like a feature uh, request yeah. or a customer complaint or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So you have all these inputs and then those inputs, you know, determine what projects you do. Mm-hmm. And inputs to what? Now inputs to the product team. It, yeah, inputs to yeah. the product and engineering team. So I actually yeah. had a diagram, which is yeah. kind of hard to describe, obviously on a podcast. But yeah. the diagram basically, the first thing I went through on the diagram was mm-hmm. you have a product and engineering team mm-hmm. at the top, and then they do projects, mm-hmm. which is the next level down. Mm-hmm. The projects change the product. Mm-hmm. Right, that's the whole point Correct. of yeah. doing a project in a software yeah. team. The product should yeah. change, yeah. and then that change in the yeah. product should result in a change in customer behavior. Yes hey, we added a feature, we expect customers to use it, or we changed how this feature works, we therefore expect customers and users to change how they use the thing. So it's projects that change the product, that change Mm -hmm. behavior. Mm -hmm. A separate thing I talked about was, I didn't get into much in the talk, was monetization of that, Mm -hmm. which is a whole other thing. But you would assume if you're running a good business, the changes you make in the product and those consequent changes in user behavior Mm -hmm. result in in, yeah, either more customers or less churn or more people buying more or whatever, right? Exactly. Like I had like I had like uh, you know existing users yeah. broadening or deepening their usage yeah, yeah. or new customers signing up, yeah. you know, buying something for yeah. the first time, yeah. etc. So you're arguing it sounds like that like inputs, outputs and outcomes are all like very important. Yeah, I said they're equally important. Yeah. I, I said yeah. it's the system that matters, yeah. equally important and we shouldn't be debating one is more important than the other. Yeah. We should be saying they're all important and let's understand the relationship between them and how to mm-hmm. get good at all three. Yeah. And so the inputs, like I was saying, are, are the projects that you do. Yeah. The inputs, get into the specifics of each one. Mm-hmm. The inputs, you know, it's basically your roadmap. I think the most concrete artifact of taking those inputs. Yeah, like the inputs get digested down into a roadmap, right? Right, yeah. So if we if we start, like maybe we'll just talk about inputs for a little bit. Like Jeff Bezos has that famous quote, like if you can, you know, the thing you can control most that makes your business most successful is actually your inputs. I like what is it you actually follow? Yeah. So what would example inputs be for a product team? Obviously, there's a process by which they spit out a roadmap and a kind of statement of what we actually want to do. Yeah. Well, uh, what, what do we listen to, for example? Yeah. Like, what are yeah. The inputs? Yeah, it's interesting to kind of look at the history of Intercom over the last few years because. We've obsessed about this, obsessed mm-hmm. with inputs. And if outcomes to us is a more recent conversation, mm-hmm. inputs isn't. It's mm-hmm. a long-standing obsession. And so we now have a pretty advanced system, mm-hmm. a subsystem within the kind of broader mm-hmm. system of inputs, outputs, and outcomes. We have a, a little system around inputs. So what we do, and again, this is um, not for everyone. Different companies will have mm-hmm. different things. Our inputs are, we, you know, we typically have like five. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is our vision, you know, our yeah. mission of the company, our vision for the future, Another one then is around our business goals. Another one is around prospective customers' feedback. Mm-hmm. So, you know, our sales team talk to customers like all the time, every day mm-hmm. of the week. They're learning a lot of things about Intercom. There are things we can build and change yeah. in the product that would help those customers sign up for Intercom. Yeah. So prospective customers, existing customers yeah. is a fourth. 
exact same as the, as the prospective customers. If they're talking to the sales team, our existing customers are typically talking to our support team. Yeah. And we have a little process in both of those orgs and both mm -hmm. those functions, the sales team and the support team, where we have a collaboration with the product team to mm -hmm. get all that feedback and aggregate it and come up with like a somewhat scientific way of organizing it and prioritizing yeah. it. The fifth one is, is actually business strategy, which yeah. I, I should have said second. So vision and mission, mm -hmm. then the business strategy, which mm -hmm. is, you know, maybe a year or multi-year yeah. to execute that vision. Next down is your business goals. Yeah. Hey, do we have like revenue targets this quarter? Do we have yeah. engagement targets this quarter? Things like that. Yeah. And then prospective customers' feedback, existing customers' feedback. Right. So they're all inputting. You know, yeah. they're all inputting. And and then we work out ways to balance them. Yeah. You know, is is like this next roadmap more about prospective customers or existing? Mm -hmm. Is it more about this business goal versus that? Do we feel like we're a little bit behind on our mission and vision? Want to invest a bit more that th uh, in that this time? So there are all the inputs. And when you think about the quality of an input, what what are you looking for? Like, is it, it should be like invariant, it should be generic, it should represent all users. Like, what are the sort of things you, you think about? Like, or if I transplanted you into a different company, how would you go about checking if the inputs are any good? The first thing I do if I was transplanted into a new company is understand their system. Yeah. But the way that I think about inputs, so the artifact might be roadmaps, mm -hmm. but the way that I think about them is that they're customer problems, mm -hmm. ultimately. So... You know, one thing I'd look for straight away is when you look at, so I guess one thing is like the quality of these inputs. Are they mm -hmm. good inputs? And then a second thing is how are they communicated? Are they communicated right. as a customer problem? Yeah. Like, i.e., there's value to be had there for customers mm -hmm. and for the company versus a business problem. Yeah. And I can give you an example of, of where we got that wrong in a second. Yeah. On the inputs themselves, things I'd look for are the process around which some of these things are generated. Right. Here, here's a really sim simple example. After I spoke, give that talk, afterwards, a lot of people come up to me and ask me a whole bunch of questions. One of the most common questions I got was, hey, how do you persuade your sales team? Or how does it yeah. work? And I was like, well, our sales team are on a call. Mm -hmm. They're chatting to a prospective customer or an existing customer about a new product we've launched, mm -hmm. a new feature. And they record all that in Salesforce. Mm -hmm. And then we pull all that data mm -hmm. out of Salesforce into our own system and, um, you know, run analysis on it and aggregate it and cut, cut it by different dimensions. And they were like, wow, how do you get their sales team to input into, like, do all the right, manual yeah. work? Like, they're, okay. you know, our sales team are just closing deals. That's all they yeah, think yeah. about. They don't think about yeah, the product. Yeah. And I kind of said, the answer is twofold. One, you know, the sales team we hire are very producty. Mm -hmm. Like, we, we actually hire people who have a passion for product. And it's kind of one of mm -hmm. the values in the sales team is to, is to be passionate about our product. Um, so that's one thing. So they're motivated to do it. Mm -hmm. Because uh, there, there's an interest there. But the yeah. second th reason, way more important, is that we ship a lot, yeah. which is getting into the outputs, actually. Yeah. But we ship so much. And so the sales team can actually see, in a very short space of time, the direct line between mm -hmm. that manual data entry into Salesforce mm -hmm. and the thing that their prospective customer is looking for, yeah. ship. Yeah. The feedback loop to sales has to be strong to maintain that. Like They have to believe that if I make enough noise about this gap, I will get that gap closed and I'll close that deal and I'll make more money. Yeah. And that's why I think one of the imperatives for anyone who's trying to adopt some sort of feedback loop with sales, it has to be like, you have to share back what, you, what you're doing and why and why their input mattered. Right. Otherwise, you feel like if you're on sales side, you feel like you're shouting into a vacuum. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and to kind of try and answer your original question, like they'll just put rubbish into Salesforce. You know, yeah, yeah, totally. And, or not bother. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, you won't have a good view. But the other piece I find, um, something I look for is like, I don't like inputs that are like, super dynamic if you know what I mean like uh, they, they change quarter to quarter right. or we, we, you know 
it can't be like, hey, the number one feature we need is a you know Zora integration. Next month it's a Microsoft Dynamics integration. Next yeah. month it's like tagging. You're like, well, hang on, like you know, are these like like generally speaking, customer needs tend to not change that often. So mm-hmm. I feel like there's a massive frequency bias whenever I see these things change. Yeah. Like I, it's good to look at like both uh, the rate of change within the top ten or whatever, mm-hmm. but also like the. Um, that's one thing that just helps you sanity check the input. Also, like the recidivism, like so, so if we get something off the list and it comes back again, right. that means we're not properly understanding the feature. So, like, hey, you asked for permissions. Why is permissions back again for the third quarter? Even though we've said all three times we got it done. Well, it's clear that we're like we're doing an MVP on this or something like that, and we're right. and we're not getting away with it. You know? Yeah, yeah, we scoped yeah, too small. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. Yeah. All right, so so that's inputs, outputs. How do you think about outputs? Is it like how much features? Are launched to the public. Yeah, I think it, I think at the highest level, it's it's um, shipped product changes. Mm-hmm. So yeah. going back to that thing of like, you know, the product engineering team do these mm-hmm. projects. They're like yeah. customer problems based yeah. on these great inputs. You'd hope, yeah. and then that changes the product. Mm-hmm. And sometimes these things are in the background. Obviously, it's like mm-hmm. security improvements, whatever. So not always visible, but they're mm-hmm. changes to the product. Yeah, and so it is things you ship. And now, of course. And any any of these dimensions, you could they can be good or bad. Like you can have bad inputs or good mm-hmm. inputs. You can have yeah. bad output and good yeah, output. Yeah. And that's just a function of the team, right? Or like the scoping or priority or the design or whatever. But like like yeah. if it's a bad output, you don't get to blame. It can already be we were asked to do the wrong thing and we did the wrong thing. Someone asked us for bullshit, so we we did some bullshit. Right. Or it could be like our team really phoned it in and yeah. we produced half of the thing we said we'd do. Or yeah. Whatever, right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So all three of these are like levers. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And with outputs. Outputs to me is actually very simple. I, I think inputs is, you know, if if one of these three is more important than the other, mm-hmm. I think I'd argue inputs is. Yeah. Because you know, the, I had a slide in the conference that basically said like shit in equals shit out. Yeah, yeah which totally. Is like yeah. inputs, you know, mm-hmm. starts with the starts and ends with the inputs in a way. Mm-hmm. With outputs, I think it's pretty simple, which is the obsession with shipping yeah. uh, that we've had over the past few years is a good thing. Mm-hmm. And like we said earlier, we do obsess about it, and we continue mm-hmm. to obsess about it, and. One of the conversations we come back to a lot, it's recurring is in Intercom is as we grow and scale and get more product teams and more engineers and our code base gets more complicated or bigger, can we still ship as fast as we used to? Mm-hmm. And we and we have been doing. Mm-hmm. And that's testament, I think, to our obsession with shipping. Mm-hmm. Having said that, within that, you then have like, you know, the variables below that, like scoping. Mm-hmm. Uh, hey, do we scope the problem down to the, just the right amount so we do solve the problem? Without doing extra work, yeah. speed, you know, how fast were we? Mm-hmm. Have we compromised the quality? Right, so that, that yeah. kind of classic like speed yeah. versus quality thing. But at the end of the day, I think it's pretty simple. Yeah. Shift product changes. Just before we continue with today's episode, I wanted to let you know about Offscript. It's a new series of candid conversations with Intercom leadership all about the extraordinary AI-driven transformation we're currently experiencing. Episode 1 is on our YouTube channel right now. Here's a teaser of what you can expect. I don't want to come across as overly dramatic, but for every single tech company, this is an adapt-or-die moment. It's inevitable that all businesses are going to go AI first. It's just a matter of time. In this post-AI world, new companies will rise, old companies will fall. Of course, some of these new companies will flame out. Some old companies will pivot successfully too. I don't think any of us could see a world where this wasn't going to be one of the biggest changes in the customer service landscape ever. The world we care about is customer service. And it's so patently obvious that the old way will be quickly obsolete. 
We're racing hard to build a future which will result in better experiences and results for customers and businesses too. It's not just a product change, it's a mindset change. Let's make space to talk about all of this. We have so much we want to share. We want to explore these ideas in the open. We want to provoke new ones in you. We want to learn from your reaction. You just click the kind of like big stupid go button, right? And see what happens. Welcome to Offscript. That's all to come on Offscript. The first episode is out now. You can watch it on Intercom's YouTube channel and we'll bring you audio versions of the episodes right here. Now, back to today's episode. Inputs and outputs are pretty clean. Outcomes, like one thing that occurs to me is like, uh, I often grimace when I see any any team outside of Intercom, I hear it more like kind of celebrate an outcome that they can't actually articulate why it happened. If you right. Know I mean. So like, you know, we here's an example, we, you know, a large customer could sign up for Intercom tomorrow, very large customer, say seven mm-hmm. figure deal, right? Mm-hmm. And they could buy one of our products. Let's say a product that might've had like a certain million dollar goal for the quarter. And that as a result, that product team could blow through their target or like the outcome from that team would look phenomenal for that quarter. Yeah. But ultimately they had nothing to do with that. Like, you know, obviously they built the product, but I mean, in, in this period of analysis, the outcome happened, uh, the business outcome arrived independent of what we were doing in that exact quarter. Right. And the reason I care about those things is because I think you're at your best when you're celebrating repeatable victories. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like things yeah. where you're like, hey, I know exactly why we laid this out. The strategy worked and we got we got exactly what we planned to get. And that's awesome. Yeah. Um, but there are loads of things that produce outcomes, right? Yeah. Like there is, and we could have a really successful marketing campaign and see signups across the board. Doesn't mean everyone's product got better. Right, right, right. right. Um, so t- talk to me about how do you uh, chase the sort of the path from an output, like yeah. from the thing we, we launch to the outcome without getting blinded by other like rising tides that might have helped us along the way. Yeah, I, I think this is really important, you know, teasing apart like cause and effect, yes. what caused what. Yeah. Before we get into that, actually, as you were speaking there, it jogged my memory on something you said to me last week about mm-hmm. feature factories. Yeah. Be- because you, you were saying there, but like, how do we have a like repeatable, consistent, mm-hmm. high quality output? Yeah. And you, I remember you saying to me, like, factories are a brilliant way to have consistent, high quality. Yeah. And the feature factory thing was given given it a bit of a hard time. I so I hate this phrase. This is one of these things where like I, I if there wasn't alliteration in this, no one would be talking about it. But now everyone says, Oh, it's a bit like a feature factory. And I've, I've heard it from even PMs and intercom, oh, this is gonna turn into a bit of a feature factory. Yeah. And I don't know why that's necessarily a bad thing. Like you realize money is made in a mint where they have a repeatable process for making money, right? <laughs> you know, uh, same with cars, you know, yeah. like, you know, like uh, same with iPhones. We're all carrying around iPhone X Pros or whatever. They yeah. came out of a factory that needed to produce a lot of them. I think the implication of Feature Factory is we're spitting out random shit left, right and center mm. and there's nothing really cohesive that holds it all together. Mm-hmm. Or it might be like, biting your lip on the fact that like, hey, we made five decisions at once and we have to get all five live and now we just need to go into factory mode versus shipping one, seeing what happens, shipping a second, seeing what happens and sort of, you know, uh, charting your course that way. But I think um, like factories are awesome things to be able to create. A lot of incumbents in the world would wish to God they have a factory when actually what they have is like, you know, an artisanal, like, you know, know, mill Mm -hmm. (laughs) for producing one thing every now and then or whatever. Yeah. But like, the idea to be able to produce at some degree of scale lots of lots of stuff like lots of whether it's improvements or you know closing bugs or speed yeah. enhancements or like or like new functionality is like powerful and i you know i think it sounds negative but like if you 
if you believe that like, the features you're shipping produce, say, value, as in your system outlined earlier, mm -hmm. then you could rename a feature factory as a value factory. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, I'm buying 10 of them, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I, I do think that um, it's a very easy, like, maybe it's a feature factory when you're doing random shit, you don't know why you're doing it. There's nothing holistic that kind of groups it all together and makes it, like, there's no strategy that kind of binds it all. Yeah. And, like, in true factory sense, it kind of goes out the door and, the, like, you know, the mechanical door shuts behind it and you have no clue what happened afterwards. Right. And your job is just to get that stuff out the door and see what, and, like, you know, mm -hmm. later on someone will come down from high and tell you sales are up or whatever. Yeah. Like, if you don't have the loops and all that, like, the proper feedback loops, yes, then maybe that's a shit experience. But I think, like you know, factory isn't the bad word here, in my opinion. Like, yeah. it, 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 depending on how you how you believe it. So, I do like. I mean, I do think you know any good software company needs to be able to get a lot of work done in 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 a short space of time. Yeah, if that's how you do it. Yeah, absolutely. It reminds me of a couple of things. One is that when I was doing this talk, one of the things I kept emphasizing for people was that the rapid pace of technology means mm -hmm. that you're you know, no matter where you are, whether you're like in a kind of like blue ocean type yeah. environment, you won't be for long because people yeah. see your success and emulate yeah. you, copy yeah. you and try and emulate you. Yeah. Or you're in like a red ocean type situation because yeah. the competition's fierce. Yeah. And in any of those situations, the competition's so fierce that you need to obsess about this system and you need to try and build a factory. Like mm -hmm. the, the other thing that comes to mind is the word machine, mm -hmm. which is another word that's like factory. It's like kind of dehuman. There's something dehumanizing mm -hmm. about it. Like, yeah. I don't want to be a machine in a factory. Yeah. And which is just a whole other conversation. Like if people love their job, they love their job. Yeah. And but like, you know, we would say things like trying we're trying to build them as you scale. Yeah. I'd hope any company who is scaling is trying to say, we're trying to build a machine. Mm -hmm. uh, and this kind of gets in maybe starting to answer, to answer your other question. Like, you know, if you're a well run business, you want to build a sales machine. Yes. You want to build a marketing machine. Yeah. Like a product shipping machine. Yeah. And these are good things, really good mm -hmm. things. And so kind of trying to come back to the, try to actually answer your question. Yeah. The outputs and outcomes, the outputs are the changes in the product. Yeah. And the outcomes are business, like I said, they're business results. Yeah. And when I think about the relationship between those two things and the relationship between the customer problem, so to kind of go back fu fully, customer problem, which is the input. Yeah. Changes in the product, which is the output. Mm -hmm. And then the business result being the outcome. Mm -hmm. You need all three. Yeah. And your customer problem, your input, and then when you start changing the product, mm -hmm. you should have an intended business outcome. Yes. And again, that's I, how you know you can take credit for it if it happens, basically. Yeah. And, yeah. and that should be a machine. Yes. You know, this should be like yeah. a repeatable, like factory. It should yeah, be like yeah. a repeatable motion. Mm -hmm. you, you you can put things into the system and get very predictable results. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Let's just run through a couple of examples here. We have seen the, the damage of having an outcome only approach to mm -hmm. things. Where like, and for our listeners, this might be like, you're, you were told that we need to improve, oh, let's say onboarding or activation or like you're a project management tool and hey, no one's using our files feature. Get everyone using our files feature. Yeah. And like the way it might be stated is our files usage is at 1% and we need to get it to 10%. Right. And you take that as like, as the goal of the project. We've seen that go, I, I guess, askew or like be really problematic to work with. Yeah. Uh, talk us through some examples here. Yeah. Uh, I got one one great example for, for from a few months ago here. First thing, like just a realization I've had, or or, or like a journey I'm on, maybe mm -hmm. I think a lot of us are on. I think a lot of listeners are on. Is you know we we like I said obsessed with the inputs and obsessed with outputs, mm -hmm. and you know historically we've made many mistakes and and ha had our ups and downs, but been relatively very successful at shipping good product that the customers value and buy. 
But I remember a few years ago, I, I was at a, on a panel at a conference and somebody was telling me from, from another like really respectable, good uh, tech company, were saying that their projects are metrics. Like right. drive, they're, all their projects are like drive up metric X, yeah. drive down metric Y. Mm-hmm. At the time I was like, oh my God, they sound like terrible projects. Yeah. Like, and then, you know, with this outcomes over output mm-hmm. thing, I had like a mini identity crisis. I'm like, oh, maybe I don't get it. Yeah. Maybe like we need those types of projects too. Mm-hmm. And maybe actually like many things in life, the older you get, you realize the less you know. And so, mm-hmm. oh, everyone actually, everyone's right. Like everyone yeah, has yeah, a point, you know, and there's a validity to all these things. But I, I'm not sure if I'd say I'm full circle back mm-hmm. to metri- a metrics yeah. projects bad. But we, when we've tried them, we've struggled. And so yeah. here's, here's one example. One way we charge for intercom is by inbox seats. Yeah. In other words, if you're a customer support team and you use our inbox, each support agent buys a seat. Yes. So if you want to add a new customer support person, you need an extra seat. Mm-hmm. So that's that's how our business works in, in some yeah. ways. And more seats. The pricing equals... is so simple, really, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, here. Yeah. Been a, need, need a new podcast for that. Yeah. Intercom on pricing. Yeah. So the, it's pretty simple, you know, like obviously yeah. more seats, more revenue for intercom. Mm-hmm. And we had a kind of a theory, a loose theory that like, hey, we don't think that like all the people who will be using seats are using seats and actually they should add lots of their colleagues and they'd see value in Intercom too. And you know, kind of a loosey-goosey yeah. theory. So we went off on this endeavor and the project was called Increase Inbox Seats. Yeah. How do we increase inbox seats? That like So the input was business, business focused, not mm-hmm. customer focused. It was like a business problem. Hey, we could like, you know, increase yeah. our revenue in this corner by increasing inbox seats. And the project went in circles. We never got past the like project brief stage. Right. Because the PM team, to their credit, were like, mm-hmm. what's the customer problem we're solving? Mm-hmm. Like, like, I can't design this thing yeah. until you tell me or until we realize yeah. what customer problem we're solving, what yeah. value that customer will get. Yeah. And therefore, like, now I can start designing, like, diff- the changes in the product. Yeah. Oh, we're going to change the, how, how it works this way which equals this customer value, yes. which then results in an inbox seat. Right, so if I play that back to you, like, I think the thing, like, if they didn't ask that question, the obvious thing that I'd say most people's mind would go to would be like, pop a load of models saying, please add some more seats, right? Like yeah. the, like this real, like, um, reductive sort of, we just need to tell people to add seats, done, next problem. Yeah, or like another one is like, yeah. redesign the paywall. Yeah, yeah. Oh, like when yeah. people get the paywall. A-B like test the it. paywall. You know? yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I guess like you could also um, maybe a small degree sharper might be like to like look at the difficulty of the of how it is to add somebody to the inbox and maybe make it easier to add or something like mm-hmm. that, right? Or, or maybe right. Uh, various uh, inferences like that. But I guess like where it, where it sounds like they ended up was like, how do we make it more valuable for more people to have an inbox seat is actually the question. Because yeah. if, if it is valuable, people will do it. Yeah. So that there is some assumption there, that which, which is like if we make the product more valuable to use, engagement in the product should increase. Right. And I think if you only think in the world of like trigger a load of pop-ups and paywalls, you're kind of hacking the engagement function independent of the value function. Yeah. Sometimes that's not a bad idea. Sometimes it's like, hey, people just didn't know that we had this feature, mm-hmm. you know, so we need to tell them. And mm-hmm. like in that world, engagement is your problem, not the product. But I think uh, what you're saying is like, oftentimes when you're trying to look for something as deep-rooted as like an actual revenue-boosting feature, you need to actually first look at value. If you right. increase value and your monetization function isn't broken, you'll increase revenue. Right. And, I, and so that's how you play it back. Yeah. But there's a bigger piece there that you said, which is um, like your roadmap should be full of customer problems, not business problems. And every business problem, unless it's like fix this bug that's like stopping us from charging or whatever, mm-hmm. every business problem should be frameable 
as a customer problem. Yeah. So it's not make people add more seats. It's like demonstrate the value or increase the value of having a more more of your team collaborate in the inbox. Yeah. And if you do that, then maybe you start seeing the right types of features uh, or the right, right types of improvements come out. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And that, that, that just to kind of repeat back what you said, yeah. that's the test. Yeah. You know, and, and that's like an exercise I think anyone listening could try, which is, yeah. hey, look at your project, your current one or next one. Look at how it's framed. Mm-hmm. And if it is framed as a business problem, mm-hmm. can you easily translate that into a customer problem? Yeah. And it should be like relatively one to one. Like it shouldn't require a great degree of imagination or like right. or logical gymnastics to sort of say, and if we think if this happens, then that happens, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. We're hitting up on time. I want to ask you one more thing. Within the PM community, which is uh, within the recent PM community, let's say last seven years or so, mm-hmm. um, we've seen all these like pendulum swings, it, you know, where once there was personas, there are now jobs that needed to be do it. Right. It seems like we've also moved from like ship, 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 ship to outcome, 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 outcome. Yeah. And there's probably been four or five others that I've forgotten about, whether it's like sprints and squads or agile mm-hmm. or Kanban or you name it, right? All sorts yeah. of stuff like that. What, in your opinion, should the PM community be thinking about and talking about? to avoid these sort of frequent undulations of it's X, now it's Y, actually the truth is somewhere in between, or it turns mm-hmm. out both are important. Yeah, there's a couple of things. One is, back to what I said earlier, and you just said it there, like, oh, it turns out all these things are important. Mm-hmm. And, and the less religious you are about things, the more open-minded you can be mm-hmm. to question, like, oh, why do people have metrics projects? Let me understand mm-hmm. that first. So the first thing is that all these things matter to some degree, the mm-hmm. inputs and the outputs and the outcomes. Yeah. And it's a system. And I don't think enough people in general building software, but PMs in particular, think about systems. Mm -hmm. I think engineers might think about it a bit more Mm -hmm. because they're building their domains. But even then, they may not think about the system as a kind of a business system. Yeah, the people, businesses side of things. Right. Yeah, Yeah. it's a very very people-oriented system if you think about it. it, All the inputs are people talking to people. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing and most important thing by far is to think about the system as a whole. Yeah. And anything, you know, my kind of spidey senses kind of go anytime I see someone advocating for one part of the system being more important than the other part. Yeah. And that's that's where I think you see these pendulum swings. Yeah, of, yeah. You know, that people are like, oh, it's not about the outputs. It's yeah. about, all about the outcomes. And yeah. lo and behold, two years later, it's like, yeah. oh, we all forgot to ship. Yeah, yeah, you know? totally. So that's kind of the first thing. It's, just, it's the system. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all three inputs, outputs, outcomes. And the second thing that is still quite surprising to me, honestly, is there's very little talk about inputs. Like relatively speaking, very little mm-hmm. talk about inputs. If you look at all the energy that's put into output, think of like yeah, yeah. the million ways you can do Scrum, yeah, yeah. like the bajillion conferences on like Agile, like yeah, yeah. the outputs like, oh, you know, it's just, in, yeah. you're inundated. Now it's all about outcomes. Yeah, yeah. And actually like, I'm still waiting for the books about inputs, Yeah, yeah. you know, like, and the yeah. energy about inputs. Cause like how, how to actually get the right sources of information to make the decisions that are best for your company. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's back to like, you know, you know, the, the shit in, shit out thing, yeah, apologies, yeah. you know, but yeah. like that's what it's about. Yeah. Ultimately, like if, if, if the inputs aren't great, yeah. you can have the, all these three, all three are very, all three variables are independent. Like yeah, you yeah. can have amazing outputs mm-hmm. and amazing, you know, like intended outcomes. Yeah. But if the inputs are bad, it doesn't matter. you've got the wrong kind of outcomes. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, yeah, like yeah. the niche part of your business or the niche part of your product is amazing mm-hmm. and all the core is terrible. Yeah. So like, and one way to test that, just to close out, would be like if you, you know, for our listeners who probably are like working in product orgs, can they draw like a diagram, a system diagram of like what comes into them? That, yeah. What's their decision making logic or calculus or pick your fancy word? 
And then what's the actual, you know, how do the outputs happen? And then how do we actually chase the output through to the outcome? Yeah. So that we can actually, you know, sort of we, we know who we know who and how we listen to things. We know what we do. And we also know if it actually mattered uh, right. end to end. And, if, and the degree to which you can do that, is, I think, is the degree to which you, you're in control of your org and just probably your company in a sense. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and one thing we didn't we didn't fully mention, but maybe we'll, we'll put this uh, little system diagram on the blog post for sure, the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Is that th- there's an arrow coming out of business results yeah. back into inputs, yeah, yeah, which is yeah. kind of more or less where you're, where you're yeah, saying. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like, a self-affecting system for e- sure. Exactly, yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's really important too. Yeah, yeah. One other, one other thing that, came, that comes to mind, it's kind of another little anecdote for people listening. It might be helpful is on the inputs and the importance of the inputs. And another common question I get, and thing something that people are really surprised by, and again. Like last Monday when I gave this talk, same questions, which was, what's my role and what's your role? Yeah, you know, like yeah. Owen and Des, two of the co-founders, what, you know, what do they do? Mm-hmm. Paul, you run the product and what do you do? And I was going to explain to, to people, and they're kind of amazed by this, is that our job is designing the system. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what, here's what's not an input. Des's idea. Yeah, totally. Paul's idea. Yeah. Like that is not how we run the company at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know that some people do struggle with, with those dynamics. Mm-hmm. And, and so back to the idea of like it's the system that matters yeah. and if you're going to rectify one system at the start get to the inputs yeah. and, and I, fix I, that absolutely uh, so and like if I want to get my idea on the roadmap what I look at is the inputs and I think why is why am I having this idea and no one else is uh, what, what, maybe our system is broken or maybe actually it's been traded off against something that's way more important that I don't know about yeah. but like it's kind of you have to kind of you share all the context and you believe everyone's sane and looking at the same data and they came to a totally different conclusion it's probably that I'm more out of touch right and with that somber note, <laughs> I'm not that out of touch. I no, no, Des is uh, not out of touch. Uh, with that somber note, we will end Intercom on Product Episode 6. Paul, thank you so much for your time. Likewise, Des. It's been a pleasure, always. Thanks for listening to the Intercom on Product podcast. For more content, go to our blog at intercom.com slash blog or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. This is Intercom on Product. <laughs>